but it's curiosity as to where we are, what we are. Existence, the physical universe, is basically playful. Welcome to the Curious Humans podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Miller. This was one of those spontaneous conversations that made me feel grateful for having started a podcast. It was with NASA astronomer Kevin Hainline, recorded sitting next to a stream up in the Spanish Pyrenees. We went completely off the deep end, and I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that he changed the way that I look up at the night sky, and he sent me down this rabbit hole of researching how different cultures around the world tell stories about the constellations they see. Okay, without any further ado, I give you this wide-ranging and fascinating conversation with Kevin Hainline. I'm here with Kevin, and we are we're in the Pyrenees, um, and we found a really nice, quiet spot away from all of the, the goings-on and the talks with a few a few flies. <laughs> and yeah, um, I want to start the conversation off by asking you: Do you feel like you were curious as a kid? And if so, what were you curious about? Uh, so I grew up in. Uh... Uh, Orange County, California, which is like this famous place that there was like a TV show about it. And um, and, I, and and Orange County is different than like when you talk to many people about like they grew up in like a rural part of the world or rural part of America or something where they were just like, you know, go outside and look at the stars and be curious about that. And I, I was 100% curious, but it was like a suburban curiosity that was was not like like oh the natural world i go looking in forests and and caves and stuff because you know you had houses and city around you and and um and so my curiosity uh i I was thinking about this uh recently my curiosity has really been born out of uh out of like my childhood going to like libraries i just spent most Mm. of my childhood in libraries and i just Mm. the, the the libraries are are this like when you're a kid, either for, for many kids, it's just the most boring place. But for me, it was like this, like this is the world's knowledge, like condensed down, you know, for you, but like a gold mine where it's like, you know, some some books you pick up and not interesting and you'll find something and like, oh my gosh. And next thing you know, you're you're reading about like how to solve a Rubik's Cube or you're reading about like like what goes on on Mars, you know, as of when I was a child. Like and 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 so this was like this incredible temple to just knowledge that like was also wonderful for for my mom because she would just drop my brother and I off there for an <laughs> afternoon so that she could go do some errands and stuff yeah. and like that like is a a foundational place for my childhood curiosity huh. because like I was indeed very curious about the the natural world but like it was also it was spurred a lot by books there's a mm. there was a book uh, that I it's out of print now, which is disappointing. That's called the Explorer book. That was this like really foundational book for me as a child, um, Spiral Bound, mm. and it was put out by a. a, a press called klutz press in america which is a funny thing uh and and the explorer book was essentially a science museum in a book it came with a giant bar magnet inside there was a fresnel magnifying lens that they taught you how to like cook slices of hot dog with the magnifying lens from the sun you just like focus it on there's also a little spectrograph grating there's a little bag of agar jelly that you can like make like little dishes of agar and then swipe your dog's nose and your your tongue and like see what bacteria grows <laughs> like it had a mirror that was bendable so you could like look at weird light stuff it was like it was so and it was written in a very easy to understand way and like it just that sort of thing arming a child with tools to like play with magnets mm-hmm. or like play with 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 magnifying lenses or like as a person who who works in, in astronomy where I separate light into its component wavelengths via spectrographs, mm-hmm. to have like as a child this like piece of plastic that took light and then separated it out and allowed you to look at things, like it's just these are the tools of curiosity. And I think yeah. that the Explorer book was based on this uh, museum in San Francisco, one of the great science museums in the world called the Exploratorium. And mm-hmm. it is a temple to curiosity. Like, like I would hope that at some point for this podcast, you go find someone who works there because mm-hmm. unlike most science museums around the world, the Exploratorium decided, let's arm our guests with tools like this book d- did and let them just play and explore. Like, let's say, here's a table that's spinning and here are some discs and just put the discs on the table and maybe get them rotating and see what happens. Essentially not saying, okay, this is a bunch of moths under glass and here's their you know Latin names and stuff. But instead, here is like a shaft of air blowing up and some beach balls. And like, what happens if you put them in it? Or like, here is a thing that simulates how sailboats work and lets you play. Because I think that curiosity is 
best explored through play and like and the exploratorium like like and the explore book this the silly book of my childhood like armed me through play mm. and i was a child of play i still am a human being of play and 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 and, and it's play just to try to understand things it's not play to win a game it's play mm. to continue playing i was i was recently uh, reading this book uh, i should re look what, who who wrote it called finite and infinite games by james cost yeah, yeah yeah and like like the idea of of like a finite game being yeah. one that has an ending and an infinite game being one where you just continue yeah, you play yeah. it to continue playing it's a brilliant book like i i think that's like that is where like infinite play it stems from curiosity and like so as a child i was just a, i i I was always found learning a new skill and 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 exploring some new way of interacting with the world around me. Like so, I was a hundred percent curious, and and it, it comes back to books, really. Like because I didn't have the forests that many kids did growing up in more rural areas or whatever. Um, but I I like I have all sorts of like you know, like I, I also was a kid curious about like like perception and and like I did magic tricks for my parents to the point where they just were so bored by like coins vanishing and cards appearing and stuff. And like, I, I learned how to juggle and I learned how to, and these are just things where like, you know, you see it and you go, how do humans do that? And then you look at a book and you practice and fail a bunch. And the next thing you know, you're saying, mom, 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 look, mom, pick a card. Look, mom, mom, mom. And she picks the card and then you go, mom, is this your card? And she's like, what? what? I can't remember which card you did. Like just my childhood was just full of like this style of curiosity born yeah, out of yeah, yeah. like kind of a showmanship and mm. a desire to play. Wow. Wow. And just listen to you talk then. I, it reminds me of this book that was a Dorling Kindersley encyclopedia mm -hmm. that I had when I was oh. like, yeah, maybe kind of eight to 12. Yeah. And I hadn't thought about it for years like mm -hmm. and that was actually something that sparked so many questions of things that were like interesting outside of what i was learning at school yeah those books are incredible like yeah. the, the the range of those books and how they for a, a young mind just take something apart i was thinking about this as well there was a book i had that was called um it was called how things work mm -hmm. i think there's another book that that was called the way things work where they just like take and show you like do you want to know how a jackhammer works boom like do you want to know how this works here and like mm -hmm. that exact thing where it just arrows pointing like i would i loved a book where you opened it up and there was text everywhere yeah. like it was just like dense with little things to read everywhere and arrows pointing places because that just indicated like you can just sit down and just like your mind this sponge can just soak that up just get it all in there you know whether or not you remembered it or forgot it that's not the point the point uh -huh. is that for a moment like someone like in these uh, I, I always called them dk because i can't remember it. You sure, you know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. these books were just like you know for a moment these books just were like another world someone has like presented to you openly and giving sure. like and it's, it's a wonderful gift that that, that 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 books give you like that so so how like what are the reasons that you think that kids who look i'm sure there's lots of people listening who've had similar experiences mm -hmm. when they were children why do you think it is that people lose that like sponge-like quality what what why do they become less curious or less um kind of willing to just play for the sake of play what, what what do you think that happens to people? That's that is like a big question of our times. I think so. When you're a kid, you're learning the rules of the world. You're learning mm. the ways that the world works. And the, the 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 problem is is that I think play comes about when you realize that the rules of the world aren't set in stone, and so mm. they're pliable and can change. And when you're a kid you still believe that because like someone will say, oh, you can't do this. And then someone else will say, well, you can do this. And you still, and then eventually those like solidify and you kind of learn them and you think like, oh, I guess I know these things and you know how these things work or some version of it. Like I, I love to ask people um, how we have, why we have the seasons, a question that like most people think they know the reason and most people are completely wrong. Like, and that's because at some point when you're a child, you ask questions, how, 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 why, why, why? And then someone tells you and it just like solidifies a rule in your brain or you just like never get told, but you kind of figure out like, well, I think probably this is what's going on or maybe you see it in the book. And like, I think we lose that sense of wonder. By the way, the reason we have the seasons, I should just tell everyone, is not because the earth is somehow closer to the sun in the summer. Otherwise, Australia would also have summer when the North, Northern Hemisphere has summer. Okay. It's because the earth is tilted on its axis slightly. When it's tilted on its axis, it means the Northern Hemisphere in the summer is like more directly pointed to the sun. The sun beats down directly on us and there's longer days, meaning the earth is hotter. And in the winter, the sun is more out of an angle and with shorter days, which is cooler. That's all it is. It's just the earth is tilted on its axis and there's more direct sunlight in the summer. That's easy. Interesting. So, but like, I think that 
when you think you know how the world works, when you think you know the rules of, of the world, you stop wondering about the rules. And so our brain, like not just the fact that like developmentally our brain like stops being able to process new information and take it all in, like there's this biological evidence for that. It's more just like you just hit a point where you just go like, like, ah, things are simple and I get it. And 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 what I have taken to heart and what I think like a lot of people who are adult like childs at heart, adult play people, like people who play as adults, is they realize, no, no, the world's way more complicated than that. Mm. That every rule you have has 20 different ways to break it. Mm. And like every everything you think is true is not like, you know, it's the type of thing where like we're, we're sitting in, in, this, in this incredible little forest path and like there are people who would walk by and go, well, this is just a rock. But it's not just a rock, right? You open it up and there's there's bugs and 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 soil and like there's an entire ecosystem under this rock, right? Mm-hmm. And this is that, that idea of like, it's just a rock versus no, it's something bigger that's how the world actually is and i think it's hard for people to 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 think about that because it's a lot to think about and our lives are already complicated enough that it's much easier to go it's just a rock and boom and i think the curiosity is the idea that it's it's actually like that everything is not just a rock like everything has an ecosystem around it every single thing and that's just a big concept that it's sometimes you know it's just hard to, to, to think about. Um, and, and like play comes into being like, like, well, let's just see, right? Like yeah. play is, let's just, I, I don't know if that, maybe it isn't true. Maybe there is no bugs under that. Now I kind of want to pick it up, uh, but I don't want to disturb whatever <laughs> bugs might be there. But like play is, let's do that. And then play is also something you do with other people. And I think that that's another aspect of, of curiosity is that you can be curious on your own. I mean, there are famous scientists who, you know, Isaac Newton is this classic curious person who just was completely solo his entire life. But I think that like, play as an idea of, of 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 armed curiosity as i was saying armed is the wrong word but like you know like like manifested curiosity play yeah. is better with other people mm-hmm. because then you will lift that up and another person can encourage you and i think that human encouragement of other people and human enthusiasm is is the greatest communication gift mm-hmm. because it 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 makes us better people because mm-hmm. we want to do things because other people are encouraging us as long as it's good encouragement obviously <laughs> like like and 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 i think that Sometimes we not only shut ourselves off to, to looking at new things and playing, but also shut ourselves off from encouraging other people to do it as well because you just want to be like, well, I understand this and you understand this. And now, boom, we should, you know, mm-hmm. that, that, that's very childish and, yeah. and, and we don't need to look there because why? We know it's going to go on. Yeah. 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 That's, oh, there's so much I want to say right now. I mean, <laughs> what comes up is I, I'd never thought about playing kind of with, with other people. And I think what I find so interesting about that is, you almost get to see the world through different lenses mm-hmm. and through their lenses. And I think that what I um, what I loved about your talk and what I think I love about um, meeting people who have these enthusiasms in general, whether it's like playing guitar or photography, mm-hmm. is they almost have honed this new lens on the way that they see the world. So if it's a musician, they will hear music differently. Or if they're a photographer, they kind of appreciate light in a new way. Yeah. And I, I would imagine for your your stargazing workshops, you are able to kind of impart that lens. To, I hope. To, That's the to, hope. To, to some extent. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, that, that to me just feels kind of really beautiful. Mm-hmm. And um, I firmly believe that Earth's diversity in, in both animal and human is its greatest natural gift. Like the fact mm. that it is so diverse in the in the life that exists on here. And 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 when with, with humans, like like communication and 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 sharing your life, both like, you know, empathy, the kind of like the the big catch-all term for this, mm-hmm. but like essentially, as you said, like showing here's the lens with which I view the world mm. and like letting someone in on this, like that's the central task that we have as humans. Mm. The central task. This is why art exists. Art literally exists because being a human is a very difficult thing and it's complicated and messy and weird. And sometimes you have to create something to show off the act of being a human or the act of existing at all so that someone else might for a second go, oh, I get that. Yes. Mm. Or, oh, I, I I don't have that lived experience, but now I kind of see where it comes from. And like good art speaks to you because it shows you that. it And good books, right? Like mm. this is why we dip into books. We dip into books to have that lens. And it's just, it's it's a different version of play, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's a different version of play. You are playing with the author here. The author is saying, mm-hmm. one of my favorite books is this American book called um, The Sound and the Fury by a guy named William Faulkner. It's a classic book of the deep south um, 
And it's, and it's a book that was written in, 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 in a stream of consciousness style. And it was the first time when I was in high school and read this book that I'd ever read a book that tried to uh, emulate human thought. And it was the, the second chapter of the book takes place around Harvard uh, University, uh, this character, Quentin Compson. It's the day that he commits suicide, uh, spoiler alert, for the second chapter of a book from, you know, early 1900s. Um, and he, uh, he commits suicide, but it's the day he's, he's kind of going through this day and he's obsessing about time and his family. And, the, and like, I had just never read that. And I realized that the reason that this was written was to showcase, like, some way of thinking that is that that for me I, I I've never been in the same exact situation as Quentin Compson, but like I I read it and thought like oh other people under think the same way that I do and like mm. that mm. that is why it's like a book had never until then in my life like I, you know books are wonderful this yeah I keep talking about books but like I'd read a lot of books and I thought up until this one moment oh books are just a series of things that happen mm. not a book is a way to express something that sometimes can only be given in a book like reading this. I don't think there's any other way that this exact way of thinking and, and, and idea and like that kind of, we all have a moments where we obsess and like we're, we're stressed and we're, we're trying to figure out something and our brain is just spinning and spinning. And I'd never read a book that encompassed my own like neurotic mind in the same way. And I think that like, that is, that, that is the thing we need to do as humans is give other people that opportunity to, mm. to not feel alone or mm. give other people opportunity to understand what it's like to not be them because mm. all we have is our own eyes and our own senses. And for a moment when we can see that in other people, it's like such a, it, if we all did that, there would be so much, if we all humanized each other in that moment, there'd be so much less strife in the world because <laughs> often you can just assume someone is part of an, a faceless, humanless other. And that's, that's, that's dangerous. Anyway, that's a, getting off topic. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And it makes me think of, um, I feel like when we go through kind of depression or difficult times mm -hmm. in life, that it often stems from this feeling of being disconnected yeah. and kind of that we are somehow like a separate self in this universe. And we have to try and find out like, what were we put here to do? And we, we need to find the meaning. And it's, it's only in those moments when you feel, you know, completely connected to a book, another person yeah. um, or, or nature or the world around us. Mm -hmm. And this is actually what I felt when I was listening to your talk the other day. Um, it's, I think it reminded me of times that I've kind of looked up at the sky, looked up at the stars and felt almost kind of connected to, mm -hmm. you know, the rest, the rest of the, the universe to some extent, which sounds very silly, but that's, that's honestly how it feels. That, and that's, that's the point. That's, that's what, like, when I give these <laughs> talks, like, like, so I, I just started a video series. It's called The Stars Connect Us. If you right. go to thestarsconnectus.com, it's my, my personal website. Cause right. I think that that is the, that is like a, a, a fundamental thing I want people to do when they look at the stars mm. is not just feel connected to the people around them or to feel connected to the stars, but to feel connected to the fact that the people in their past looked at the same stars. The people in the future will look at the same stars. Like the stars will outlive us, and mm. and so the patterns that you that we see, they are this fixed thing in nature mm. that's above us that like connect all humans who've ever lived. Mm. Like the same patterns, we're under the same sky, and I think it's like a beautiful idea. And I, I, I I'm glad to hear that it it, it resonated with you because like. It, it's something that I, I I say and say in like fifty million different ways over the course of a talk, <laughs> and like it's just it is like like it, it's inside of all of us, not just because humans are made of stuff that at one point was was forged in the centers of stars, like not just the fact that our carbon could not be in our skin if it wasn't for a star turning simple elements into into carbon. Like that's we're we're not just from the stars and of the stars, but we are connected by our viewing and the light that falls on us from the stars. And I think that's like a, it's like, it, 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 you said silly. I, a lot of people, when they hear what I talk about, my astronomer friends like really roll their eyes. Mm. Cause like, uh, I can't think of the term. Like some, like it, 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 it seems very ethereal. Like, oh, sure. you know, like, like this is getting into spirituality. And mm. I, I, I think it's fine. I think we mm. have a spiritual side and I, I want to help trigger that mm. using a kind of, you know, like using astronomy as a way to under, like, you know, cause we all are trying to figure out what's going on and where we're from and all these mm. things. And I think astronomy presents a pretty interesting story that helps, helps you as a lens to understand yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, I mean, for me, listening to whether it's physicists or biologists or, or astronomers talk, they all seem to have this very like visceral sense of wonder. And I think it comes from kind of exactly as you were saying, um, like this, this knowledge that we, we are kind of born from the original atoms of, mm -hmm. from the big bang and like we're kind of expressions of that and 
it's it, it it feels to me like a very kind of um a tangible i suppose spirituality which you which your kind of your rational mind can't kind of dismiss because it's like no that's fact like that actually that actually happened that's who we are yeah i i think that the reason that we have wonder is is like to go back to that rock like if you lifted up the rock and there was is teeming with life like like a biologist would look at that and think the world needs to know this. Like, like mm. it, it works in such an intricate way. It's like opening up a watch, like a beautiful Swiss watch and seeing how it all works together and just being like, I can't be the only person who can see this right now. This is an incredible idea. Mm. Like, and that, that wonder is just how that works together. And like, so when a biologist or scientist like, or an astronomer like myself sees how the fact that the universe works in a similar clockwork way mm. where things happen that lead to things that happen to lead to things, like I can't help but wonder, right? Like, mm. I, and, and want to share that, right? Like what's cool is that if you literally, like the universe is proof that if you literally just take hot light and let it cool off, eventually people are formed. Like that, like that is literally the, the universes that, that to make humans, our ingredients are light cooling off in a universe and eventually the light becomes matter, which becomes stars, which becomes heavier elements, which yeah, becomes galaxies wow. and planets. And around those planets, you just have like life spring up. Like that is yeah. a clockwork mechanism that is far more ingenious and amazing. And if you don't want to, I, I want to shout that from these Pyrenees mountaintops. Like it's, it's an incredible thing. It makes me sound like a lunatic, I, I, I tell you, but like, you know, and, and, and whether or not you believe that that's, that's just random occurrence or by God, that's not for me to say, sure. but still it feels miraculous no matter what the source mm -hmm. of it, source of it is. And I think that mm -hmm. biologists feel the same way about life. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, because like, I, I, I kind of, when I talk about this, I stop at the like life part and the evolution part because that gets too complicated for me. I could never do biology. It's way too hard. <laughs> but like biologists start with that idea of like simple, simple organisms that begat like more complicated, that begat more complicated, that begat us, the most complicated, weird messes. And like that is also a wonder thing. So it's no, no, no duh that it's wonder. Like if you're, mm. if you find yourself as an adult studying these things, you, you have to have had some wonder. Otherwise, I don't know why you're still doing it. Right. Like, <laughs> You have to have some wonder about it, you know, and like in your own weird niche, like I, I work on black holes and I, I think that black holes are like an incredible weird thing in the universe. And I just like want to shake everyone and tell them like, well, this is a thing that exists in the universe. Similarly, like I've met people who study bats and they, that's what they want to tell you about. Yeah. Like, What a crazy creature, you know, that like nocturnal and like has these crazy leathery wings, kind of like a bird, but not a bird. Like yeah. the, 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 the universe is in weird and mysterious and scientists should be enthusiastic and filled with wonder about it yes. like and it's that enthusiasm which is contagious i think it better well. be yeah i was just just remembered something that you mentioned in the talk mm -hmm. of this um this idea that telescopes are like time machines yeah. as well and that for me was like just another kind of it was like a reframe of um thinking about this i have this kind of like uh small kind of uh, tiny telescope that i got for my birthday mm -hmm. but i used to love kind of looking up at the night sky and this idea of yeah this idea of it being a time machine. could you just talk yeah, a little bit so about that like the way that we look at each other, the way that, that you can look at anything is that light is the is the propagator of knowledge. Light is our information service. Mm -hmm. And light takes time to get to us. And we live in a world now where on my cell phone, I can just like very easily like learn about news, you know, like like from the world, like like New York Times just informed me that like the singer Aretha Franklin just passed away like today. And like that happens like, at, you know, the speed of light, just boom, boom, boom. Mm -hmm. But like in the past, you know, if you wanted to get a message, you'd write a letter and then give it to the letter carrier. They'd take it to the service and then they'd give it, out. it would take a while, right? So like you watch, you know, these period dramas and, and you see these people writing these letters and then like weeks later eventually they get it and and that idea what that means is when you get that letter you're not knowing what the person's doing right now you're hearing what they did you know a week or two weeks ago right so that happens with light as well when you see a person you see them as they are like a split second earlier because light is a carrier that takes a finite amount of time mm. which means that like when you look up at at the sun and see the sunlight shining down that light has traveled across space it's taken eight minutes so you're looking at the sun as it was only eight minutes ago Right, which means if the sun exploded randomly, it won't. Um, we'd have like these eight blissful minutes before it actually propagated through space to finally tell us. Like, so that means that like if you if you start looking at farther and farther things, it's light is taking longer and longer time to get to us, and you're not seeing it as it is right now. You're seeing it as it was, mm -hmm. and like 
for eight minutes, it's not a big deal. Similar, like if I see you across this this microphone here, I I I see you as you are, like essentially instantaneously. And like eight minutes is pretty instantaneous in the his grand history of the universe. But once you start getting out there, it starts getting pretty crazy. I I last night we were we were under the stars here, and I was showing everyone the nearby Andromeda Galaxy, which is a, like essentially like a kind of like a sibling of the Milky Way Galaxy. Sibling is a weird term to use. There are two galaxies were kind of on a collision course with the Andromeda Galaxy, similar sizes, um, both beautiful disk spirals and Andromeda is the farthest thing you can see with your eyes and when you look at it you're looking at it as it was a million years ago because it's a million light years away so it's a million year old light when people look at that with their eyes the farthest thing you can see with your eyes you're looking at it as it was a million years ago and so like a telescope will like, like really peer in on that and see what does this galaxy look like a million years ago now the thing is is that galaxies don't really evolve super significantly um, over a million years there's some aspects of them that do but like you're, you, so, so, so that will essentially kind of look like what it should look like now. Stars live these like billions of your lifetimes, but you can actually, and and this is what the telescope I'm working on. I'm working on the James Webb Space Telescope. If you have very large telescopes that can like capture very faint light that are like incredibly giant mirrors to capture this very faint light from very far away, you can start seeing things as they were a billion years ago, two billion years ago. My entire PhD thesis was about nine to 12 billion light years distance. Mm -hmm. So like nine early universe stuff. And, and the telescope I'm working on will find some of the first galaxies, the first stars, hopefully, that lit up the universe. And like that, that's a time machine. That means that I, when I look at it, I'm seeing it as it was. I have no idea what the galaxy is doing right now, but I know what it did look like back then. And similarly, it'd be like if you were a historian and you were like a person who wanted to study period dress from the 1700s, you could go look at it in a book or, or maybe whatever, if there's some art. But like I... Imagine you could take a picture of that. Like, imagine you could just take a picture right now of where we are and just get every single person who's been walking through here through all of history. You'd get all kinds of different styles of costume and dress and stuff. And like, that's what we can do. That was the reason when I was a kid reading every book about space I, I, and every book about dinosaurs, I chose space and not dinosaurs, like as my field of study. Because dinosaurs, I'll never see what they look like or walk around. We'll just have imprints or skeletons but I will see what galaxies look like as they evolve. And, mm -hmm. and with, with what we do, when you do this, you can't look at how one individual galaxy evolves, but you can look at it as a group. Similarly, like mm -hmm. if you took a bunch of pictures of people from the 1910s and 20s and 30s and 40s, you could understand how, you know, period styles of dress evolved and changed and mm -hmm. facial hair evolved and, and you know, th th these sorts of things. Like as a group, you go, okay, well, this is kind of what they wore as a group. And similarly, you go, okay, here's what galaxies were like back then. And like, we know that galaxies in the history of the universe like early on they were still forming they didn't have a huge amount of stars they formed every year but that grew over time and then at a certain point they were forming each galaxy was forming tens or hundreds of stars a year and then that shut off for like a certain point in the universe essentially universe just kind of stopped forming stars as vigorously and that's one of the big questions in astronomy is why hmm. is that the case and what how do they build up and how did how do stars shut off in in the first place and these is to do that you just need a bunch of galaxies across a large time scale and that's what the telescope I'm working on hopefully will deliver um, is like this incredibly far away light. So it's it's the the coolest thing to be able to actually look at what galaxies look like as they were. Now, people always ask when they look up at the night sky, like, oh, are these stars all dead? Am I looking at dead stars? Kind of like when I was joking about the sun. But the stars you see around us at night are in our neighborhood, essentially. Mm -hmm. So generally, outside of a couple that are that you know are fairly close to death we know that most of them are probably still alive and still burning because you're only seeing them as they were maybe 100 or a couple thousand years ago and it's very unlikely that in a, a thousand year stretch a star will just randomly decide to blow up especially because we know how stars like like you can kind of like how you can with a with a person but even more so like you can look at a person and say like okay that person's fairly young or that person's middle-aged just you know like and stars don't have like freak occurrences where they explode they kind of isolated and live a life cycle just depending on how much stuff they have mm -hmm. so the stars around you are still alive but they're just as you were a long time ago but the galaxies now i have no idea what the galaxies are doing right now that i looked at for my thesis they're just so far away that i would have to live billions of years to wait for that light to get to us now and so like it's 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 essentially like having a pen pal uh, I use this metaphor in an interview, but a different version of it, mm -hmm. like having a pen pal and you only know what they were a long time ago, like 
like a pen pal from the past where you don't know what their what 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 their life is like now you know mm. and so these galaxies you know they just will tell us what life was like what the universe was like at a certain point in its history and then if you want to know what things are like now you have to look at more nearby galaxies so you don't know what the individual ones are doing wow um <laughs> and for people looking up at the night sky mm -hmm. um which you know everyone's probably seen a few thousand times what hopefully that yeah, would be a, that would be it, a, a great thing <laughs> briefly maybe not looked okay, properly yeah, but, but briefly seen um what are some like what are some ways to look at it or some questions to ask which kind of infuse some of this this perspective that you have like like you were saying earlier like the rock is not just a rock and the night sky is not just a night sky like, yeah well, what are some ways to think about it that kind of um you know uh elicit some of that sense of curiosity yeah. which you've clearly like <laughs> imbued in your in every fiber of your being <laughs> so i think that there's many ways and many lenses with which you could look up at the night sky i think that like people often want to look up and just learn the constellations and that is certainly one mm -hmm. but like memorizing constellations is is kind of it's like like picking up a good book and then just like memorizing the chapter titles mm -hmm. like that's neat but it's and it might tell you a story but you know what what i what i what i think people should do is 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 choose a way in which you want to look at the stars like like go in with some like with a goal or like you know with like like an intention mm. um because like like you can go and look at the stars in one night and then another see the same stars and think about them in an entirely different way and so when i give my star talks i try to do like five different ways because hopefully it'll click with someone mm. um because you could do it very scientifically and look up at the stars and like just look up and look at the different brightnesses and the different colors and that tells you a lot about the types of stars that they are. Ignoring the patterns, just thinking about like stars as actual floating in space objects. There's a star in the southern uh, in the southern sky uh, in the summer called Antares. It's a red star. And like that tells you about its temperature, right? And that's that's like a, a source of, you know, like of curiosity in terms of when you look up at them and you see different brightnesses and different colors, you might want to ask, why are the different colors? Why are the different brightnesses? Are the different brightnesses because they're just closer and farther? Are all stars the same brightness? The answer is no. Stars have different brightnesses and different colors because of how much stuff they have. And the more massive a star is, the brighter and more brilliant and blue it tends to be, and also mm. the shorter of its lifetime. And the redder that a star is, outside of when stars are late in their life, they tend to be smaller, redder, uh, they have longer lifetimes. And so, like, stars have a really interesting evolution. So that's one way of looking at it, very scientific. I could understand that. And there's all sorts of books that teach you this exact weird set of lifetime. But another way, and the way that I also, I think, clicks really well with a lot of people when I talk about it, is that the stars are a set of patterns that, as I was saying earlier, every culture in the world has had to, like, you know, like, has looked at. Because mm. I, I can't think of any, like, entirely underground cultures that never looked at the stars. <laughs> but, like, when those cultures looked at the stars, they saw patterns in them. And they saw patterns and they applied stories. And it's really mm. interesting to go and look at not just the Greek and Roman constellations that are the ones that are commonly used because Western culture took over everything, but, mm. like... Think about the culture that you're from and 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 go and see like well what or think about a culture that's totally different. Like, you know, like like and look at what they saw the sky as. Like like the Chinese astronomy took the sky and like separated mm. into a gajillion different houses. And it had a huge amount like that, that and, and they had they gosh, Chinese astronomers have record books that were so meticulous. There's a story, I can't remember the exact year. It's it's you know like a thousand years ago. Chinese astronomers record that there was what they like this thing they called a, a guest star, hosts like that was in the sky, like a new star. They would go out and the, the astronomers uh, looked up and said, Well, that star wasn't there last night, and we have really good records. We know exactly. That's a pretty bright thing. Yeah. So they just record it, and after a month it goes away. Yeah. Right? Same time in the American Southwest, um, in, in, in the state I, I live up, but northern, uh, a group of Native Americans record the same thing. There's a wall where you can see this pattern of stars and one bright object that is like from, recorded from around the same time. They see the same thing. And they also are confused. What is this? Right? Mm. They didn't have the same. We haven't found the same record keeping as Chinese astronomy does, which is this incredibly like very thorough recounting of where stars were. And what it was now, we now know because we can look at the Chinese record books to find exactly where it was. And we look in that spot. What happened was they were just discovering that a star had exploded. They'd seen a supernova with their eyes. A star got the end of its life and died and exploded. And we can now go to that spot that they recorded and see the remnants of the star. And you can trace it back and it's exactly the year. And like that as a story, as a thing where people looked up at it, like 
that happened world round. Like, and there's weird, unique twists on it all over the place. Like, there's there's groups in the South America, uh, in the Southern Hemisphere, like in Australia, the Aboriginal people of Australia, um, the Incan people. They actually, unlike many of the Western cultures who like looked at the stars and made patterns with the stars, they made patterns in the absences of stars and absences in the Milky Way. They, there's an emu that's like that's recorded that is from where there are no stars is a big that's dust script thing. And it's like a total inversion of yeah, what yeah, Western yeah. cultures have done, oh. like where they just said, okay, here's something and let's make a pattern with it, yeah, right? Yeah. I, I asked everyone last night to shout out the name that they gave the the Big Dipper because in America we call it the Big Dipper but yeah. it's called the Plow oh, yeah. the um the 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 the, the Grosso Wagen which is the, yeah. the big wagon or you know the it, you know like and and that that is like a pattern in stars that just right now different cultures on the planet right now have this different name for this one little group of stars that's incredibly bright and like that is a really beautiful lens with which to look at the stars is is like a set of stories shared from the same source yes. right like like just like like fairy tales like you can trace fairy tales back in that exact same way where it's like some parable from the past that like different people have tried to you know apply their own weird version mm -hmm. of it like the stars are a set of templates that we put our own hopes and fears and and non-understandings mm -hmm. and stories on mm -hmm. and and it's really fun to find the ones that cultures that never talked with each other because they were separated by vast distances had the same thing like the bear mm -hmm. the 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 big the great bear that must have been traced back to very early man who you know bears were an important part of their lifestyle as a thing to hunt or be you know afraid of and so they just put that bear in the sky this is a bear being chased by her cubs across the sky or a bear being chased by hunters across the sky that's like a cool thing so that's a second way of viewing the stars right mm -hmm. and then as i said before like just if you want to just not think about scientifically or think about story-wise, like in terms of perspective, in terms of looking up at the stars and just receiving their light and thinking about the like the fact that the light has traveled such a great distance down onto this planet and is telling you about like who you are. So you can go out and without any like like any science or anything and just very spiritually just open up. The act of laying out and pointing your, your body up towards the stars, your face and your eyes up towards the stars is so counter to everything we do in society right now. We have like mm -hmm. built a society that has involved looking down at a computer or down at your phone or down at your other people or straight at, and never up. And like so many people tell me like, oh, I really get a crick in the neck. And that's just because you, you don't have a lot of practice just staring up. And it's like, you know, the sky is very blue in the day, so why would you, you know? But like at night, there's like a show that happens and I love like last night just giving people opportunity you just saw so many shooting stars and people never see shooting stars they happen you know semi-regularly we're near a, a, a meteor shower so that was where we had a little bit more than usual but like that when people tell me they see satellites or or like planes going overhead like it's because they just never give themselves an opportunity so those are like three different ways that I can you know kind of let people experience the stars scientifically through like culturally and then mm. spiritually and that's one of a, a bajillion you could look up at the stars because it is just like it's 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 this omnipresent thing that we generally you know you could do a thousand times and never really never really think about it never really let yourself think about it because mm. you're just too busy and you also you know twitter's pretty interesting and like why would you ever want to do that and it feels silly mm. and it feels in the in the in, a, in, a, in our current world where we're just keep going and working and, and doing things and you guys should go out and be social and, and let everyone know you're being social by mm. posting about it on Instagram and got to get a beer and got to do instead of just like stopping and being present in the moment it's like a meditation right and mm. it, like just giving yourself a meditative moment to like really stare up and learn you know just learn a couple stars learn a couple patterns and and slowly you'll build this and it's like for me the stars are friends like to see them each night is like a comfort to see, ah, they're there still in their same patterns, shining down. They'll be there tomorrow. That's mm. a very comforting thing. There's not a lot of things that are so stable and solid mm. in the world today. And to have that is a very comforting thing. Mm. <laughs> so there's a lot that I wanted to... <laughs> <laughs> I ramble a lot. I appreciate no, that's, that's you letting me ramble. One, one thing that I'm... I, I love this perspective of almost imagining that these kind of constellations in the sky are like a reflection of different cultures mm -hmm. and you can almost I, I guess you could probably um, interpret a lot about these different cultures by the stories that they told mm -hmm. and I love that I love the example you gave about um seeing shapes in the absence of yeah. where the stars were and I've I've just been reading about this idea of negative capability which is something John John Keats talks about mm -hmm. and I think it's so interesting how in Britain you know western culture we don't really have a word for kind of 
empty space mm-hmm. um whereas they, they they do have words in japan and china and things like that and i don't know to me that's i'm gonna look up at the night sky now with like a whole different yeah. set, of, set of questions like that's that's so that's so interesting um you should definitely if, if, if you're if you're listening to this don't feel constrained by Western like astronomy and Western constellations. Mm. Like I love when people tell me something looks like this or this is a constellation I've created or something like that. Yeah. Like find patterns that are your own patterns. Like they, yeah. that that's the cool thing about it is that like right now we just do that because astronomers needed a way to chunk the sky into chunks to tell people where to look for things. Mm-hmm. But like if you want to make your own constellations up, by all means, that's a it's a beautiful thing. And if you want to just go and look between the stars, you should do that as well, right? Mm-hmm. It's like it's 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 your sky to do with what you want, right? Yeah. It's like a gift that nature gives you, right? And there's no way to ruin it because you're too far away from it. <laughs> it's wonderful. Yeah. Um. This this has been this has been fantastic. I'm I'm looking down at some of the notes that I've made mm-hmm. and, um. There's, there's so many questions that I, I think maybe we'll have to do a round two at some point. But um, just to kind of just to wrap up for now, sure. Um, kind of coming back or coming full circle to your own your own story. Mm-hmm. What are um, well, firstly, what are kind of some of the the things that you're researching at the moment? What are the mm-hmm. questions that you're looking at from a kind of uh, yeah. w- work perspective? And um, secondly, more broadly, what are the questions that you're kind of um, asking yourself and like living your way into the answer um, more generally as well. Okay, so uh, my my research I kind of hinted at it earlier. Uh, I I'm a I'm a scientist who studies the way that galaxies have changed over time. Like I I, I want to understand the life cycle and history of galaxies in the universe. Mm-hmm. Galaxies as a thing that. Uh, is a big container of 100 billion stars, gravitationally bound. Generally, there are spiral ones, and there's ones that's kind of like a big rugby ball of stars, some weird orbis shape of stars. Um, those are the main two types of star of galaxies. And they and 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 how do individual galaxies evolve, and how do galaxies evolve on mass? And things like if we look at far away and look at early, early galaxies, they must have more pristine matter because they haven't, that matter hasn't gone through life cycles of stars yet. So they must be more simple, more hydrogen, more helium, less of the complicated stuff. Mm-hmm. And actually tracing that is one of the fundamental questions in astronomy that this telescope will have answered, the James Webb Space Telescope. Mm-hmm. But also things like, um, like the universe at one point was opaque and then eventually the first stars kind of blew through, uh, blew the opaqueness and, and, and ionized the gas so that you could see through the universe. When did that exactly happen and how did it happen and what caused that? These are big questions. And what I specifically work on and what I've worked on for many years is the fact that at the centers of big galaxies, um, uh, we think there is, uh, and we have pretty good evidence for, uh, supermassive black holes at the centers of every galaxy. And those black holes act like an engine of light that can potentially ionize and, and, and excite gas, kind of like, when I say excite, I mean like the way that a neon light works where electricity kind of smacks a gas and causes it to glow in a very specific way. Um, the light in the centers of these galaxies, the light from a big disk of material falling onto a black hole, that disk can excite gas throughout the galaxy. And what does that do if you have an incredibly powerful light source in the center of a galaxy to the content of gas in the galaxy? And and, and does it, how does it feed back and, and how does it affect? Because maybe that's one of the reasons why maybe galaxies stop making stars at a certain point, right? This is a big question mm-hmm. that I, I introduced mm-hmm. earlier. Mm-hmm. And, and there are Many, many people try to look for this, and this telescope will really help us answer that. So these are the the questions I I look at. Right now, what I'm doing for my research is I'm helping hone some tools that will help us figure out exactly how far away galaxies are, which is a big, complicated mess to do that. Uh, But I'm I'm writing a lot of tools and software for a big survey that I've been working on. It's called uh, JADES. Um, which stands for James Webb Deep Extragalactic Survey, uh, that we're going to do when, when the telescope launches. We'll, we'll like do this very deep tiling of, a, of an area and like find incredibly far galaxies, like you know hundreds of thousands of them, that we'll be able to use to like trace the history of the universe in a very cool way. But someone on our team needs to like actually say for every little smudgy thing in our image how far away it is, what type of galaxy it is. And that's why I'm, I'm working on the, on the subgroup that works on that. And to get at your other question, which is which I think is is in my my own personal life. What is it that I'm like? What is it that I, that is my? What are you kind of exploring? Yeah. What do I explore? So, I um, I do these talks partially because it's it's fun to go and meet new people and and do this, but also like I I think that in the world today we are starting to be really upset with science because now science has become this thing that like people think is like uh like a deliveryman of truth like oh this is science just tells you what truth is and if you don't mm-hmm. believe that like 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 they're gonna get angry at you or something like that and i think that what i really try to do as a person 
is like is communicate science in a way that shows that it's not like something where we're trying to get the truth, but instead it's it's. I mean, this might be you know pretty on the nose for this for this podcast, but like mm. it's it's something that just it's inside of you to be curious. It's essentially just like a mechanism. Science is just a mechanism with which you can be curious. Like it's a, it's like like curiosity is a big as you know as, as this podcast is exploring a huge nebulous like 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 idea and concept. And science is like one way to take that nebulous concept and turn it into ways in which you could understand things. Mm. You know, I don't think that that there is many capital T truths because I think that it's it's up to interpretation. And when you get down to it, science is messy and complicated. And any person who says like, ah, this is exactly how it is, like it's actually, as I said, way more complicated. You know, even the big ideas of like, like, oh, okay, well, this is how a star works and how gravity works. Well, actually, if you get down to it quantum mechanically, blah, 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 like it's mm -hmm. more complicated. Mm -hmm. But science is essentially like a set of tools that do that. And and it's not a thing that's like like tells you like 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 this this is true and this is not true therefore you should not believe this. Instead it just tells you like here's how you can be critical in your thinking process. How you mm. can be a critical curious person. Mm. And 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 that is so necessary in a world where we seem to want to believe what we want to believe like regardless of whether or not there's any actual support for it. Like I think YouTube was was like this wonderful thing, but also a huge mistake in terms of allowing people to like come up with crazy that non-scientific things that that like spread like wildfire. And that next thing you know, everyone's asking me about flat earth or like aliens building the pyramids, which are things that like really like they they make me very sad. And so my my personal my personal desire is I want I want to show people that like that 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 like you can be enthusiastic and excited about science and and that can help you be a critical thinker and critical understander of the world mm. and that that and 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 that that the the that when you when you're looking at the world critically you understand how important it is that we live in a diverse and interesting and weird world and celebrate that. Mm -hmm. And I want to show people that you can be enthusiastic about science and about the universe mm -hmm. and no one will criticize you for it and no one will think you're silly like you can lift up that rock and look at those animals and like like it's okay and you should and you should be encouraged to i mean mm -hmm. maybe not every rock because some you know ants need to live under the rocks but like you can just explore and be curious and it's okay and not weird or silly as you said earlier like like it's 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 natural. It's like, you know, like what I want is I want people to play. I want people to play the infinite game. Mm -hmm. Like I want people to look at each other and say like, let's just keep playing and exploring and, and being silly and, 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 and seeing what this is like and how this is because that makes us humans. It makes us understand that we're humans. It, it lenses the world so that, that we, we see that we're diverse and, and the diversity is wonderful and amazing out of nothing. And, and like, the way that you start is by finding some weird foothold. My foothold I've found is astronomy. And so when I go to these things, it's partially to get a cool trip to the Pyrenees and get to meet cool people. But it's also because I it's inside of me. And if I don't share it, it feels like, you know, hiding your light under a bushel or whatever like that. Like it's I would I would I would die if I couldn't let everyone know. Like it's just like, you know, this is a good way for me instead of just going from person to person and shaking them and be like, you're a miracle. You're a miracle. You're a miracle. Like it's we're this is a miraculous life. And, you know, and then also to, to, you know, like, I think that, like, I, I, I feel that, that one of the great disservices we're doing is, is, is we're, 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 we're not, we're not a, a good steward of this earth, this other miracle that we're walking on. And I want people to understand that they're a miracle and that they, they need to, they need to celebrate the life and biodiversity around us. And we haven't been doing that very well. And so I, that's, 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 you know, and I think that science and critical thinking and critical understanding like can help us grapple with big questions about like like what is our species going to do going forward and what is our role as a species is it to just make a lot of money no 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 i don't think that's the case i think it's to live in concert with each other and in concert with the planet and that's just very hard and i don't know like you know i think that like like that enthusiasm is maybe my way of doing it and and so i i my my my, my personal drive is to just be as publicly enthusiastic as possible mm. And I think that is a that is a wonderful place to wrap this up. And and thank you for for sharing all of these enthusiasms with with the podcast and yeah. and here in, in in the Pyrenees. Um, so where can where can people find you online or find out more about the research you're doing, or, or maybe even more importantly, find out 
um, you know, resources that they can learn more about this guy and kind of some of these things that you've been talking so about? So you can find me. I, my name is Kevin Hainline. It's like the word mainline, but with an H, H-A-I-N-L-I-N-E. And it, KevinHainline.com is my, is like where you can, you can see about some of the public stuff that I do and the, and the speaking engagements. Um, I do research at the University of Arizona in, in Tucson, Arizona. So you can find my research page or, or to find my papers and my research, but that's kind of cold. Um, I would look up the James Webb Space Telescope. There's quite a few resources, and I'm actually working with some animators to try and make new resources that are more accessible mm. for James Webb. But they, you know, like they've got a wonderful Instagram page where you can see how it's being built and some of the science it's going to do. But also there's videos and, you know, there's documentaries about James Webb and it's being built and stuff. Um, and it's, you know, easily Googleable, James Webb Space Telescope telescope web with two Bs. Um, but like the, the thing that I recommend the most book wise, and to get back to how I started this, there's Perfect. a book, the guy, the, the, the artist and author who, who drew Curious George, the famous book, this guy, H.A. Ray, mm -hmm. he drew this book called The Stars, A New Way to See Them, where he just took every constellation and redrew the lines between them to look like the thing it was supposed to represent in the Greek and Roman. And I think that that book is such a beautiful, it's first off, it's like this incredible, beautiful work of art, especially the hardcover version. Um, it's not expensive. You can go and buy them in a bookshop and, and like, and, and, and buy the hardcover because it's got the book jacket is a, is a sky map on the back. But it's like a great way for adults and children to like start learning the sky. It's also like written in a very accessible way. It's, it's, it, it, it ramps up in complexity so that a person can have it as a very small child and also an adult can like read it and go, oh, I, I can't really never thought about this. Like, and like it's, it's that cute style that H.A. Ray had with Curious George. But like... Aha, curious George. It's, it's good for the podcast. Um, but like H.A. Ray like loved astronomy and love and, and and communicated in such a way. Like it's the, the gift that I give so many people, like, especially when they have kids. Like at some point, this is gonna be the book that will like, you know, if you don't want to teach them the stars, you just call up <laughs> Uncle Kevin and he will. And this is the book we'll use. And like I think that's great. And also if you can find, if you have kids and can find on on like, you know, a used bookstore or online or something, the Explora book for, from Klutz Press. That was wonderful. I'm very sad that Klutz doesn't exist the same way because they were who taught me how to juggle and how to do magic tricks and stuff. They were essentially, here's all the tools you might need to learn Cat's Cradle or learn yeah. how to do origami with with uh, with dollar bills and stuff. But like, I think that that like these are some resources that I I would really recommend. Uh, like, you know, finding books, finding books about space and stars and stuff. There's There's quite a few. That, that exist out there and like, you know, just go to a bookstore and, and ask the people there, hey, I would love a book about space or about stars or about something I never thought about and just, you know, go to a library, even better, and just like go to the astronomy section and just pick something off that looks like it might be interesting and I guarantee you there'll be something in there that, that blows your mind and that's why you go to a library to begin with. Yeah. Perfect. Well, mm -hmm. thank you. Thank you so much, Kevin. Yeah, this thank has you. been an absolute pleasure. And um, I'll put all of the links to things that you mentioned cool. in, the, in the show notes as well. Thank you. And uh, yeah, I think we'll wrap the show with that. Thank you very much. This episode's question for you to ponder is this. What are some of the gateways to awe and wonder for you in the world? Share any of your thoughts on Twitter or Instagram, tagging hash Curious Humans podcast. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. It would mean a lot to me if you could take a few seconds to open up your podcast app and give Curious Humans a shiny five-star rating. This not only helps more people to find it, but it will help me to get more awesome guests in the future. And if you're not already subscribed, then the Curious Humans newsletter is where I share monthly morsels of interestingness and podcast updates. You can sign up for that at johnny.life. That's J-O-N-N-Y dot life. All right. Thanks for listening. And here's a preview of what to expect in the next episode. It's this completely self-expanding, almost self-annihilating phenomenon that yourself is just like a little thing in the corner of a vast room and the least interesting thing going on. And you're playing and you're creating and you're molding something and yourself, your ego just isn't even a part of it because it's so grand. It's so awesome. <laughs>